0: the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. On Wednesday, or the morning after some referred to as the Tuesday Night Massacre, when former Cabinet Ministers Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott were kicked out of the Liberal Caucus by Prime Minister Trudeau, who cited a breach of trust. Prior to his decision, we'd heard from many Liberal members who complained that both individuals were not- not team players, and their actions caused damage to the Liberal Party. Libby Snymer spoke with longtime Liberal strategist Bob Richardson and Forum Research president Lauren Bozanov to get their perspectives.
2: You cannot allow a circus like this just to go on and on and on and on. It had been over eight weeks. There is clearly a difference of opinion on uh, on uh, on the views on this issue, uh, but it, but there was a continued attempt to damage the government week in, week out, by particularly one of those two members. And uh, I think at some point or other, you have to say enough. And if anything, liberals I talk to from coast to coast uh, are supportive of, uh, of 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 the action that the prime minister took uh, yesterday. If there are criticisms, it's that he didn't do it uh, 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 soon enough. Yeah, and a that lot this of, has dragged on for a very long period of time.
3: A lot of people uh, were saying that he looked pretty weak letting it going on. Well, I wouldn't use the other W word, but... Yeah
2: yeah but I'll, I'll I'll tell you it was uh it went on far far too long no other party would allow this sort of conduct to go on and with and keep their members in uh, the Liberal party shouldn't either and uh, I think he acted in an appropriate fashion I mean the government uh, did a budget, nobody even knew about it. Uh, because the week that the budget went on, there was a concerted, uh, concerted attempt to pound the government every day. Um, the Member of Parliament resigned from Durham. The next day, uh, Paul Wells' article in McLean's was out the day after that. Judy Wilson-Raybould was doing something. The budget may may as well not have happened, because nobody knows it happened across the country. So there comes a point when you have an obligation uh, to the government, and you have an obligation to your party, and you have an obligation to your colleagues to say, we're moving on. And uh, I, I think the government did the right thing under the circumstances.
3: I am welcoming Lauren Bozanoff, of course, pollster with Form Research. Lauren, how much has this hurt the government and what do you see for them going forward?
4: So it's really put them in second place in the polls for quite a while now. Um, and uh, so they're down about five to nine points uh, behind the Tories. And that, that's in almost every single poll that's, that's been out there for the last uh, month and a half. So it has had that impact. Um, they really need this to stop. They really need to get this behind them. I know everyone is just telling them the same thing. You've got to end this. And they really do have to end this because this sort of drip, drip, drip does keep giving this uh, story legs. And as long as that's happening, I think it's going to keep the, the liberal numbers depressed.
3: What about the opposition? Have they been, and are they continuing to do the right thing to take a, as full advantage as they can?
4: Well, the Tories have been the sole beneficiary of this. They're, they're up to about 40% in the polls. That's enough for a majority. So they've definitely um, been, you know, they've caught the fumble and uh, went, went their way. The NDP are not a threat. They're still uh, sort of way behind in terms of the public opinion polls. So Uh, Yes, the Tories have been the main beneficiaries of this. It did kind of fall in their lap, and then they've run with it well.
3: Bob, what do you think he has to do? And does he have the right team? I mean, he lost Gerald Butts in this, his most trusted advisor.
2: We need to do some things differently. Uh, We need to do some things differently in terms of how we organize ourselves as a government. He needs to do some things differently. We need to do... uh, Focus on issues that are mean something to people in their day-to-day lives. Bread and butter. Bread and butter issues and a little less on uh, what's going on at the United Nations today. Uh, and uh, that would strike me as uh, we need to get focused here.
3: Lauren, what about the view of the Liberals as the managers of the public purse?
4: Well, I think that's... Um uh, going to be a weak spot for them and uh, something that they're going to have to uh, address uh, between now and the start of the uh, election campaign. We have to remember, though, it's, it's, you know, we always say, well, election, you know, six months off, that's forever in politics and so forth. Now, all, that, all that is true, but what's also true is in the last election campaign, the lead changed three times. So it's really hard to uh, predict where, where things are going to be at, you know, at this point in time.
2: Six months is an eternity in yeah. politics. Uh, I was the chief of staff of a leader. We were twenty points up, uh, six months ahead of an election, and we ended up getting whooped on election day. So uh, I don't, uh, I don't uh, take the a lot of the polling too too seriously at this point. It's not saying that it isn't good polling, but uh, Canadians can change their minds. Um, there may be other things, and right now. Justin Triddle's running against Judy Wilson raybould and this uh, and SNC uh, when the election's called he'll be running against Andrew Shear and uh, Jagmeet Singh and uh, I suspect we're going to see a different result
1: That was Forum Research President Lauren Bozanoff and Liberal strategist Bob Richardson. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still with the ousting of Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott from the Liberal caucus, along with the fate of the Liberal Party, opposition MPs made it very clear how they viewed this political saga and took the opportunity to pounce. The Conservatives' messaging was clear. The Liberals believe if you tell the truth, there is no room for you in the Liberal Party of Canada. Joining Libby to discuss, Liberal Minister of Seniors Philomena Tassi and Conservative MP and critic Pierre Poliev.
0: Stephen Harper never would have pressured an attorney general to shelve criminal charges into a powerful corporation accused of fraud and bribery. So I think you can say that none of this would have happened if he were prime minister today.
3: Things happen in government. So, but again, it this- hasn't
0: happened before, though. I can I can say I stood up in the House of Commons twice uh, over the last couple of days, and I, point, I I spun in a 360 circle and invited any member of the House to heckle out the name of a previous prime minister who had interfered in a criminal prosecution. And there wasn't a single MP in the House from any party, including the Liberal majority, who could think of a single example. So no, this doesn't happen. This is not normal. It's extremely bizarre. And that's probably why the Prime Minister, two of the Prime Minister's most senior and respected cabinet ministers felt they had to blow the whistle on him.
3: What more so, well, is there possibly? They've uh, cited chapter and verse of, of the times they said there was, uh, in their opinion, inappropriate pressure. Other people have said, well, we think this was appropriate. What more could there be?
0: Well, we don't know. We, we, here's what we do know about the cabinet shuffle. Before the cabinet shuffle, the attorney general had made a firm and final decision not to interfere and shelve the criminal charges into snc So the answer was no. After the cabinet shuffle, we have an attorney general who is open, who says he's open to interfering and shelving the charges against snc So the answer is maybe. So by shuffling his cabinet, Trudeau has has, has been able to change the position of the Office of the Attorney General with respect to a special deal for SNC-Lavalin from no to maybe. We want to know if that was his intention. It certainly was the result. We also want to know if that's the plan. Are the are the Liberals going to hand SNC-Lavalin a get-out-of-jail-free card with a special deal in the days following the next election, should they get back in, God forbid? They oh. should be honest with Canadians about that before we vote, rather than keeping it under wraps so the Canadians vote for them, not knowing that this kind of lawlessness is is forthcoming.
3: I'd like to bring in uh, Minister Philomena Tassie. She's on the line from Ottawa. She's Minister of Seniors, member for Hamilton. Are you relieved that this was happened or are you sad? How are you feeling about it? I think... Um He's making a, a good decision that's supporting what his
5: caucuses uh, uh, has basically communicated to him. And, uh, you know, it's never easy to lose a part of your team. But in this instance, um, it really comes down to this breakdown in trust. You know, it was a recording of the tape that, as someone who has practiced law uh, in the past, the thought of recording someone without their knowledge and then using that against the client that you're serving for me is extremely troubling and uh and shocking and, and and it's in fact against the code for the law society of ontario so so i think that was the part it really comes down to a breakdown of trust and um what i'm happy about now is that we can get back to talking about the budget talking about the good news in the budget and getting back to work for Canadians.
3: Minister Tassi, how do you turn the page on this? Everybody seems to be saying there's more to come, and now neither of these women is constrained by anything. Well,
5: I think for me, it's exactly what I said previously, and that is now, let's get back to the governing of this country and doing the good work for Canadians that we need to do. You know, when you look at this budget, yeah, I'm the Minister of Seniors. uh and I appreciate you affording me the opportunity to be on your show previously to talk about this amazing portfolio that I have. You know the budget, $100 million for the New Horizons for Seniors Program, guaranteed income supplement uh, exemption increase from $3,500 to $5,000, $50 million in adventure strategy, which I was asked about, where's the money on that? so many good things that our government is delivering on. And so now what we need to do is to get back to this work and uh, continue to to include Canadians and deliver for Canadians.
1: That was Minister of Seniors Philomena Tassi and Conservative MP and critic Pierre Poliev. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Thursday, an estimated 100,000 students walked out of classrooms across Ontario to protest the Ford Tories' changes to school curriculums, funding, and class sizes. The protests were organized by the same student advocacy group as the one for the sex ed curriculum demonstration, when 40,000 students from 70 schools walked out of classes across the province. But it's not just students who are protesting, Ontario health care providers called for a reversal of cuts to supervised injection sites during a rally on the lawn of Queens Park on Thursday. They also brought a petition signed by over 1,200 health care providers. Libby spoke with City Councilor Paula Fletcher, who was invited by students to participate in the walkout, and political strategists Kim Wright and Shakir Chambers to get their takes on why these protest events are becoming more common.
6: The students uh, at three of the schools that will be affected by this crazy idea that's come out now from Queen's Park. They have invited me to attend, and I'm very happy to support them.
3: And what's your take, Shakir? Is the government making a misstep here?
7: I think the the focus here, though, is the government's implementing changes to help students get more skills. Math and literacy skills, we've seen the scores, very poor scores across the board, so they're implementing changes to try to help and improve uh, our province in in that particular area.
8: Kim? What really we need to be focused on is working for our students. If you go back even into the Harris years when they implemented the EQAO, which is the province-wide testing, the concern that were raised by parents and students and advocates across the education sector was that you weren't actually going to be helping students, you were going to be teaching to the test. What we've seen all these many years later is Is actually a validation of that perspective. People knew and and they understood that if you were just going to focus on teacher testing and student testing, that what you were going to get were uh, teaching to the test, back to rote learning, and basically what real estate agents could sell for fancy neighborhoods. But it wasn't going to improve test scores overall for kids. And what we're now seeing is continued to go back into this more and more students in the classroom. And frankly, if the province didn't think that 45 members of uh, council in Toronto was appropriate, certainly 45 kids in a classroom is certainly not appropriate.
6: Paula Fletcher? This is just
8: unbelievable. A bomb has been thrown
6: into education. It started with sex ed, and the students came out and said, what do you mean you're going to give us a curriculum from 1998? There was no internet. Nobody texted. There wasn't all of the issues that teenagers and others have to face. And then they got into a big cow pie with the autistic kids and the parents and they've not satisfied this important group of people in the province. In fact, many of these kids will have to just go into the regular classroom without the supports they need. And now they're saying class size should be so high, up to 28, and we know that means 30, 31, to 32. As someone has been involved in education the best learning is in smaller classes bringing the class size down particularly in these difficult days in uh the economy and in toronto is the number one thing for student success shakir what's your view
7: listen it's it's your your democratic right to protest um we can debate whether it's appropriate on school grounds or not but i think do you think it is I mean, my personal opinion, it's, it's it's appropriate to protest. Listen, kids have have a voice. Be, their voice should be listened to. But I think at the end of the day, um, solutions need to be put forth. Uh, this government is making changes because they believe some reforms are necessary. Um, there needs to be an approach to education that works for all kids, all communities. And as I said before, you need to prepare students for the labor force. Right? There are employers and industries that are saying these mask skills are crucial. Kids need to learn these skills, and the government is making these changes so kids can learn these skills. Um, I think this is very important.
1: Paula Fletcher,
6: what would you like to leave us with? I'd like to leave you with saying I'm very proud of all of the young people who are so resilient. They know enough to protest. Something bad that is going to happen where you would add up to 10 more teens in a class with one teacher. And I think this is blowing up the system and all the rhetoric about the scores. And I heard all of that when I was a trustee. This is just ideological. Save money, take out the money, and say we're helping the system. That just isn't true, Libby.
8: Kim Wright? Uh, I'm incredibly proud and encouraged by these uh, students that are out protesting. They know what they're talking about. They have well-thought-out positions, and they understand their perspective, their lived experience, and are trying to make things better for the next generation behind them. You know, what they're doing is important, and I think they should be validated and, and applauded for it. And Shakir?
7: Um, I would just say, at the end of the day, this government's implementing reforms in education. There's clearly support for the government's position. While Paula and Kim might not support it, I think the average Ontarian is actually very supportive of this. They want to prepare kids for their futures. They want to make sure they get jobs when they leave school. So they're preparing them with the skills necessary in order to get those jobs. So I think moving forward, the government does have its mandate, and it's moving forward in its mandate to implement change where it deems it's necessary.
1: That was City Councillor Paula Fletcher and political strategist Kim Wright and Shakir Chambers. You're listening. listening. Listening to the best of Fight Back, I'm Jane Brown. With one in five Canadians affected by chronic pain, the federal health minister is forming a national task force to explore the various issues surrounding this type of illness. Jeanette Petipod-Taylor says while it's too early to say whether a national pain strategy will be developed from the information that will be gathered over three years, she did confirm eight members of the task force will spend this time consulting with people across the country to get more information on how to better prevent treat, and manage chronic pain. The first of three reports to the federal government is expected in June. Libby spoke with Dr. Norman Buckley, Scientific Director of the Michael G. DeGroote Institute for Pain Research and Care at McMaster University, to find out more.
9: The task force is a federal initiative to identify what are the necessary elements of pain care uh, research into pain and public awareness about pain that will ensure that the people living with pain get the appropriate care that they need um, going forward.
3: Why is it so... Difficult. There's
9: a there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, in in part, uh, although there has been Canada has been a remarkable leader in in research into pain and in uh, sort of the most highly cited articles about pain over the last forty years. Um, the actual proportion of research dollars allocated to pain is does not correspond with the magnitude of the problem. Uh, So we we do need more research into pain. But even when we know uh, what an optimal way to treat pain is... We often don't get that information either to our healthcare professionals in their training programs or to uh, the healthcare providers uh, when they're in practice or some some optimal care isn't even covered by all healthcare systems. And even when it is, there's waiting lists or challenges accessing care.
3: Is there one optimal way to treat pain?
9: No, there's not one optimal way to treat pain. Um, but there is is certainly a great deal known about how to assess patients with pain, how to identify the various components of their pain problems, and then uh, we we describe pain as uh, a sometimes, not always, a complicated biopsychosocial problem where in addition to some underlying injury, that injury happens to an individual who has certain characteristics psychologically or lives in uh, certain social situations or works in a situation where they may or may not be able to optimally recover or they may need guidance in how to recover. So often the the best care isn't just a medical intervention like a prescription, uh, or it may involve, uh, say, uh, nerve blocks or other treatments, but that needs to be done in combination with education of the individual and their family and access to uh, things like rehabilitation systems for optimal recovery, for things like occupational or physical therapy, for example. Things like physical therapy, and psychological counseling are not universally covered by all of our healthcare delivery systems. And even when they are, there may not be ready access to them.
3: The first of these reports is due in June. What should we expect to see in June? And will it be in any kind of shape to help people who are suffering?
9: Well, I think there's... There's several pieces going on, but I think it it looks like, from the terms of reference, the first report in June is supposed to describe the state of Canada. And I I think, you know, the the fact is there has been a lot of research going on. You know, the CIHR funded the Chronic Pain Network, which has put together over the last three years quite a bit of information. Um, There are other activities going on, so I think the task force will have a, a jump start uh, on its first report, which is to describe the state-of-the-art and the, the problems that exist and the potential solutions and where best practice does exist in the country. Every province in the country now, uh, I think almost without exception, has some sort of process underway to examine what they need in terms of a provincial pain strategy. And, and we're incredibly excited that the federal government has shown leadership in putting this task force in place, which I think has a very great likelihood of being able to Bring the federal contribution to play on the research and education side and also delivery of health care for the populations where it has that responsibility, for example, the veterans and indigenous populations. And the provinces are in the process of trying to identify their own provincial solutions for health care delivery and where collaborations can occur. So I'm, I think the first report in June hopefully will lay a pretty clear picture of what the the state-of-the-art is across the country, And, and we'll know where to go from then, and with any kind of luck, maybe this will be a task force that reports back in sooner than three years.
1: That was Dr. Norman Buckley, Scientific Director of the Michael G. DeGroot Institute for Pain Research and Care at McMaster University. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Earlier in the week, Grocery Chain Loblaw announced a ramp-up of digital grocery services with a trial launch of a new service that harnesses the power of Loblaw's PC Optimum loyalty program to provide customers with more relevant advertising and reward them for the simple advertising Act of seeing those ads while they browse popular internet sites. PC Optimum already provides personalized offers and more than $1 billion each year in rewards to its more than 18 million Canadian members. This new service will be tested for a select group of members, providing them with an easy way to earn additional points. Libby spoke with the retail profit director of insights, Riley Stevens, to get her perspective on the new program.
8: I look at this offering and I, I feel like it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. And the reason I say that is because, as you mentioned, Loblaw has lots of data and they've been using this data or they have the opportunity, I should say, to use this data to really make an impact and to really provide us as the consumer with a lot of value. Uh, this just feels a little bit transactional to me. So when I look at what they're doing, it's really leveraging the data that they have And just sort of capitalizing on, we're not going to really provide you with any value other than seeing the advertisements that you already see through email and that you probably, for products that you probably already buy. Um, So so it feels... It just feels a little transactional to me.
3: Well, yeah, except uh, it's an opportunity for them to make more money because I guess they will be paid.
8: Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that they are going to brands, you know, that they sell in stores and approaching them with this new opportunity and saying, listen, we've got people who we know are shopping for these products. And I think that the offering for them is to see how impactful those advertisements are, meaning are people actually likely to buy more products if they see advertisements on on multiple websites that they visit? Um, So they'll be looking at that and analyzing that data with those brands that are, are paying them to use this service advertising needs to become more contextual we need to have things that make sense or that are in the right place at the right time for it to be effective so i think that that will be a struggle for them and i and i'm curious to see how it works out and how this pilot pans out for them because it does feel that if i'm already buying these products if you're using my my buying history to serve me advertisements is it really gonna is it really gonna change my behavior
3: are there privacy issues involved here It's a great
8: question. Uh, I don't think with this particular pilot, there are privacy issues per se. And the reason I say that is because if you are a cardholder, you've already given up your information, right? So I wouldn't say there are any additional privacy implications here. What I would say is that we do know that privacy is top of mind for a lot of people right now. A lot of people are nervous. They see this that, you know, privacy breaches are happening. Um, But as a result, businesses are tightening up their security. So, you know, I would hope that Loblaw, obviously, as a large organization would use this as an opportunity to also tighten up their, their security and to look at um, what, what IT security they have in place currently. I think that it really comes down to, are you willing to be given, ad- be given or served up advertisements just to save a couple of dollars? And again, we don't know how many points will be given. We don't know if we see pre-roll on video content, if that will mean that we get more points for this. So once those things become clear, I think people will will fall into two camps. I think there will be people who will say, sure, why not? I like to save my money. I like points. I'll do it. I think that when we look at how this is going going to affect building a long lasting relationships with Optimum, I don't see this as being like a super loyalty play. I see this as being, again, very transactional. And sure, there will be some people that will take part in this experiment and be the lab rat, if you will. And there will be people that will say, no, absolutely not. So I don't know what that price is, but I think that those it will be, people will fall into two very distinct camps when it comes to how they how they view this pilot program.
3: Are you saying that the bottom line on this uh, this is another thing to let them make some money from us, but it's, it's not going to be any kind of killer app? I would say
8: that it's a pilot, and they are they are trying to uh, first and foremost collect data, and secondly, yes, make some additional revenue if they can. That's what it, that's what it seems like to me. Uh, the privacy issue is not much of a concern, I think, here. Uh, so if anyone is concerned, they have stated that they aren't going to be selling the information to third parties. And I really just see this as being, as I said before, maybe not a, a long-term, uh, long-lasting customer relationship play for Loblaw, but definitely uh, something that people might be interested in if they do feel like they want to, you know, earn some extra points when we know what, how many points that actually means.
1: That was Director of Insights for Retail Profit, Riley Stevens. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Ron in Guelph phoned to explain why he admires Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott.
0: Being a team player, does that mean you you forfeit your own principles? To me, those women are more principled than every other one of those Liberal caucus members who said, nope, you know what, I would never go against the Prime Minister. I would never say anything that's uh, obviously wrong. I admire both of those women.
1: Pat in Toronto called to share his views on how our Prime Minister has been behaving and what question on snc Lavalant still remains unanswered.
10: I think the Prime Minister should get full marks
9: given his background. He's a drama teacher, and he's certainly given us a drama. This thing has been poorly handled from the beginning, and it just shows his lack of experience. The thing is, this is party politics. Yes, these uh, ladies have to be uh, sent to the sidelines, but who made the mistake in the first place? That's the question we really have to ask ourselves.
1: Ellen in Toronto phoned to say she believes Prime Minister Trudeau has done the right thing while he still remains a feminist.
5: As a woman and quarter Indigenous, as my grandmother was an Indigenous woman, um, for anyone to move ahead, women or men, we've got to drop these labels. And I think I have renewed respect for the Prime Minister because of what he did, and he should have done it a lot sooner. And it's not about two women. It's about two individuals who were not team players who went against the party and it should have been done a long time ago. And as far as Trudeau losing credibility for being feminist or not, I totally think he's even more feminist due to this because he's showing strength and power, and that's what it is. We've got to drop the, uh, the labels.
0: And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: Great calls, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from previous Fight Back caller Dave in Brampton, who was much happier this time as he explained the changes in care he now receives and what a difference this has made to his life.
10: About uh, roughly two and a half months ago, uh, the occupational therapist, my uh, wife's case manager, and they all showed up and they talked. And when uh, the case manager... Uh, informed me that I was getting 12 hours a month respite. I uh, have gone to appointments or uh, go out and uh, maybe to the lumber yard if I need something or whatever. It was total, a total shock. It was unexpected and uh, I welcomed it. You- <laughs> and that proves that the noisy or the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's just for me. She gets uh, uh, seven hours a week for washing, one hour every morning, and they also give me another three hours every week to go shopping. I found a big difference just with that 12 hours. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I found a big difference.
1: That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, a.m. 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up The Best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham.